<laughs> well, good morning. Gather around, children. It's story time. Madeline, would you like to join us? I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Sophie. Good morning. Good morning. Molly, sweetie, do you want to sit right here? Is that okay? Actually, we can make it work. Good morning. Hey. Okay, well, this morning, I have a very special story to read to you from a book that I read from last time, and I enjoyed it so much that I thought we'd do it again. Good morning, Herschel. How are you, bud? Man, it's so good to see you. This is called The Boys and the Girls and Jesus. Welcome. Gather around. Every day, Jesus was busy. He made sick eyes see. He made sick legs walk. Every day, Jesus was busy. He talked to people. He told people how good God is. Every day, lots of daddies and mommies came to hear Jesus talk. Grandpas and grandmas and friends came too. Some days, what's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There were too many people to get inside a house. Then the daddies and the mommies and the grandpas and the grandmas and the friends stood out in the sunshine and listened to what Jesus said. It must have been hot. One day, somebody asked, do you think Jesus would put his hands on our boys and girls and pray for them? Do you think he would? Somebody else said, yes, I think he would. So down the street, they went. The daddies and the mommies and the grandpas and the grandmas and the boys and the girls on the way to Jesus. Jesus' friends saw them coming. Jesus' friends said, no, don't bring children to Jesus. He's too busy. But when Jesus saw what was happening, he didn't say no. He said, yes. Let the little children come to me, he said. Then Jesus reached out. He picked up the boys and the girls one by one. He put his arms around them and loved them. He put his hands on them and prayed. Jesus' friends thought, oh, Jesus is not too busy for boys and girls. He loves them. You know what? Jesus isn't just waiting for you guys to be old enough to have adult conversations, is he? No, he's not. Hold on just a sec. He's not waiting for you to be old enough to have serious conversations at the dinner table. I think if Jesus walked into the room, you know what I think he'd want to do? I think he'd want to play. What do you think, Maggie? Yeah, because Jesus loves everyone in this room, including you all. Fox, what did you want to say, bud? Your Trinitarian theology is growing, Fox. Good job. (laughs) God, let us thank you, Jesus, for these children. Thank you for, uh, for the way that you love us, that you always have space for us. You are not too busy for us. Lord, um, we uh, love our children, and we pray your greatest blessing on them. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, uh, my friends, do, uh, I believe that we get to go out. Is, is there ch- Sunday school today? Yes. Okay. You know what to do. Children, you may walk out the center aisle. Oh, look at those. Cool. What are, the, are those from? Uh, what are those from again? Minecraft. Minecraft. Cool. Um, are you going to stay here? Or are you going to head out? Okay, then go ahead and go over to mommy, okay? Hey, Molly, head over there, sweetie. All right. Dad, you want to go to, okay, then go ahead and ask mommy, okay? Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Dave. Um, I get to uh, be a part of the team that leads our ministry to university students uh, that has been a part of this church for a very long time, uh, formally for well over three decades, and uh, it's been an honor to be a part of that team um, as the director. And one of the things that I have uh, developed over the years is, is this, very, uh, this very fine skill of articulating the purpose of meetings, okay? Because having the end of mind is a very powerful and effective way of getting to where you want to go. And I've realized this after leading many meetings over the years that at the end of them, I thought, what was that about again? Have you ever been a part of a meeting like that? Oh, yeah, a few. Okay. Um, So on a good day, I'll remember to start a meeting by saying, the purpose of this meeting is blank. And everyone looks at each other and says, yep, or Nope, that's not why we got together, Dave. And then we, of course, retool. But understanding the end, having the end in mind is important for all of us to get where we're supposed to go. There's an, a Greek word, telos, that, that captures this idea profoundly. And, and the word is translated in various different English words in our English translation. Sometimes it's the word complete, Sometimes it's the word perfect, and um, there's a few other iterations. It actually shows up quite a bit. But Telos tries to capture this idea of defining purpose so that um, with the end in mind. So an example of Telos, like the Telos of a tomato plant is to grow tomatoes. When a tomato plant grows apples, you know there's something wrong in terms of uh, aligning with its Telos. Does that make sense? Okay. Starting with the end in mind. The gospel is good news about our telos that is made possible and revealed to us by Jesus and realized by discipleship to Jesus. The gospel is about telos. It is news about who God is, about who we are about our telos, about God restoring our telos so that our telos can be complete. That's one way of thinking about the gospel. So starting with the end of mind, I want to make this case that our telos as disciples of Jesus is to love one another. Our telos as disciples of Jesus is to love one another. Um, Lindsay read uh, the mouthful, which is just a portion of the fourth chapter of 1 John. And I explained to Lindsay this morning, and this, this won't be the most heretical thing that I say this morning, so get ready. I think that 1 John reads a lot like um, a Krug Grand Cuvée tastes, 
Okay, if you've ever experienced this incredible champagne, um, it is a champagne composed of 120 different wines, over 12 different vintages, using primarily the same three grapes. But with all of its complexity and simplicity, it's on one hand profoundly complex, and on the other hand, profoundly simple. Doesn't John kind of read that way? You're like, oh yeah, God is love. But then it's like, God is love, right? All right. I didn't know if that landed well or not. You can tell me later in the email on Monday. In this passage, twice we hear God is love. Twice we hear the imperative to those who call themselves disciples of Jesus to love one another. And I want to circle in on verse 12, which says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. His love is made telos in us. When when scripture refers to, especially um, Jesus and his disciples refer to one another, they are explicitly referring to the one anotherness of brothers and sisters of Christ, fellow disciples of Jesus. The commandment that, that John is giving us through his rabbi Jesus is to speak specifically about followers of Jesus loving one another. And then he makes this profound claim, which is a lot to manage, sort of like God and Jesus, or what did Fox say? Some great theology going on there, right? God lives in us. The purpose of God is fulfilled in us. The telos of God is fulfilled in us. Or another way of saying is that God is made complete in us. We can't see God, but we can see God when we love one another as God loves. And then we see God all around us. That that John says that the telos of God himself is realized in us when we love each other. Wow. Love connects us to the transcendent substance of God himself. Love is not a scarce commodity found only in the correct theological boxes. Love is the transcendent substance of God itself that is realized and made complete in us when we love one another. John is saying it. He's screaming it from the mountaintops. At least that's how I read it. Love, another way of saying this, I believe. Now, here goes some heresy. Are you ready for this, Bruce? Love, this isn't heresy at all. I think this is a well-trodden ground. Love is the telos of all things, is another way for us to think of this. Love is the telos of all things. In Ephesians, while Paul is trying to wrap his mind and his words around this idea, he says, and God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be the head over everything. No exceptions for the church, the fellowship of believers, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything 
in every way. And who is God? God is love. The telos of God is love. The future of all things, we know this because of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that all things will be reconciled to Jesus in love. Everything will be restored to its telos. Everything will be restored to loving relationship with itself because that is the substance of God. And God will be complete in all things. Amen? And so, our telos is hardwired in this great new commandment that Jesus gives his disciples recorded in the Gospel of John when he says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you what? Friends, do you see how loving one another is not some sort of moral appendix to the good news that we're not going to hell? Do you see how loving one another is not this thing that becomes a burden added on to our Christian identity? This is not something that, that, that is like, well, how do we just figure this out and just kind of like grin and bear it until we get to heaven when that person finally changes into the image of Christ? <laughs> Friends, the point of the gospel, the telos of God, the telos of all things, the telos of you and I as disciples of Jesus is to love one another. This is the most important thing that we do as disciples of Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus says, a new command, love as I have loved you. Now, it's how has Jesus loved us and how is that different? I want to refresh us this morning because I imagine a few of you um, know a bit about the nature of the love of Jesus that we've seen um, witnessed in his gospels. And I want to highlight and add some texture to that so that we can understand that love, when, 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 when Jesus says, love as I have loved you, he's actually adding new dimension and wholeness. He's, he's revealing to us what the love of God is that all this telos is moving towards. So a few dimensions I want to talk about this morning. First, belonging love. As followers of Jesus, we are family that belongs to one another. We share the same identity and we share the same inheritance. We all are getting the same inheritance at the end of time. Our spiritual family blood is thicker than our genetic family blood. Jesus reimagined what, it, what, at least from our perspective, from my perspective, he reimagined what it meant to be family. Remember the time that Jesus is teaching and his family kind of comes up through the back, I think, kind of passed into like the VIP section of like the hardy disciples and they're trying to get Jesus' attention. Maybe they're going to go out for lunch after Jesus is done teaching and they, and they say, hey, you know, Jesus, your family's out back. And what does Jesus say? Who, 
who, are my, uh, who is my mother and who are my brothers? He points to his disciples. He says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will, whoever walks the way of my father, whoever is my disciple in heaven, my, uh, whoever walks the will of my father is my brother and my sister and mother. Jesus is saying, you are my family. We are family one to another. We belong to one another. I think another, um, what feels like um, uh, heresy to me is when Jesus in Matthew 25 talks about um, the the goats and the sheep. The thing that's most mind-blowing to me in that passage, Jesus identifies literally as another person who is in need. He doesn't say like I'm like that person. He says, I am that person. We belong to one another. Christians in the first century were criticized by the dominant culture, saying these people are incestuous because married people referred to themselves as brothers and sisters rather than husbands and wives because that was a much more profound identity, loving one another. We're family. Do we see each other that way? That's the love of Christ. Another love, interdependent love. It's getting worse. As followers of Jesus, our individual God-bearing image is essential to everyone else's thriving and vice versa. Or another way of saying this, we are mutually indispensable to one another. Or as Ash said it last week, we are the royal we. There is no I in the telos love. There is a we. And we are indispensable to one another. Paul, several times in in his writings, in different writings too, talks about us as a body. Ephesians, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined together, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Man, this is such a different way of thinking that Cliff and I are just as important in the body, despite the fact that I have a microphone and a light on me, which in our culture says he's the most important person in the room. But in our understanding of the way the world works, that is not true. All of us are indispensable in the fellowship of believers. We all play an indispensable role, and we must think of each other as indispensable to ourselves and to one another. This is the way that God has loved us. Think about this. Jesus himself said, you will do greater things than I. Is that the wisdom of a person who does not think that the people around him are undispensable? That his own body is undispensable? That he will do it all by himself? Do we love each other this way? Third love, the unified love. As followers of Jesus, we see the equal belovedness of all humans. We see the equal belovedness of all humans. We are unified across differences 
that have always divided. We are unified across differences that have always divided. Jesus didn't have a type of person. Think about that. We all probably, if you're like me, you have a type. Somebody that you easily resonate with, right? Somebody that you know, it's like when they walk in the room, when you learn two or three things about them, you know, we're going to click. That's my type. Jesus didn't have a type. Jesus connected in love with all sorts of people. With Pharisees. With Roman centurions. With deeply religious people. With people that were not welcome in religious community. With prostitutes. With rich women who paid for his ministry. With fishermen from the backwoods of Galilee. With city types. All of those people felt safe with Jesus. And friends, Paul was so rattled. This is such a transformation, a different way of thinking. There, he says, there's no more Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, but one new humanity in Christ. This is the way that Jesus has loved us. And this is the way that we are to love one another. Jesus didn't have a type. I love also, I'm going back to Ephesians a lot here. I love in Ephesians when he says, Paul offers this commandment, having this telos in mind that all things are, are, are unified in, lo- in the love of Christ. That is the destiny of all things. He says, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit. What is already true about the nature of God through the bond of peace with one another. There are only people in the world that have a, the, not only the worldview, but the tools to love across differences that have always divided are people that know the love of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced of that. Is that true of us? Or do we have a type? Love one another. Across the differences. Okay, and then lastly, reconciling love. As followers of Jesus, we are peacemakers who bring reconciliation into the world as Jesus did. Friends, we are capable and called through Christ to, being, to bring reconciliation out of enmity. The telos of God is reconciliation. For God, this is a Colossians, for God was so pleased to have the fullness of him, uh, his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself, what? All things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The love of Christ is a reconciling love that brings wholeness out of enmity. The gospel of Jesus, one part of the gospel of Jesus is that there is a way now that things that felt broken forever, divided forever, can be reconciled again. And we have the spirit of God living in us. We have Jesus and his way to guide us 
to bring reconciliation to all things and first and foremost to those relationships that we have with one another. A community of disciples that loves the way that Jesus loved is a community that seeks constantly reconciliation with one another. So when was the last time you asked for forgiveness? Are we doing okay? Don, are we doing okay? Okay, all right, all right. To recap, the telos of God is love. Jesus reveals what God's complete telos love looks like. That's why Jesus says, a new command I give you. You want to know what love looks like? You've seen it in me. Now do it yourself as my disciples. And love one another. As image bearers of God, we share God's telos and complete our telos by loving one another with the love of Christ. All right, why does this matter? This is the scary part, Cliff. Are you ready? The telos love of God is changing all things. Not changing the outside, it's changing the inside. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we become a different person, new humanity. Fundamentally, our character is changed when we become disciples of Jesus. And that means this, and this is all interconnected, character change requires the soil of love. Character change requires the soil of love. Now, to, to, to know that God is love, this would make sense, but the character change requires the soil of love. Tell us does not come through trying harder or living in defeat. Do you remember Carl talking about that last week? We are not changed into the image of Christ by trying harder. We are also not changed by just giving up. But instead, we are changed in the soil of love of Jesus, trusting and following him. Okay. Physiologically, we are wired, our brains literally work this way, to only be able to change our character in an environment of love and safety. We can only change our character when we feel safe and in a trustworthy relationship. Think about this. Has yelling at your child to change their character ever worked? You, we wish it worked, Matt, right? Gosh. No, literally one part of our brain shuts down that's connected to the other part of our brain that builds character. And it shuts down and says, this isn't safe, this isn't safe. You cannot expose the part of yourself that will cause real change. But when we're in loving relationship, change can happen. Friends, Jesus has called us to make disciples of Jesus. People will not become disciples, cannot become disciples of Jesus. First, if they don't experience the telos love of Jesus 
in their experience with us who are the reflection, the physical embodiment of Jesus. Did it, does it not say that in scripture? The, we haven't seen God, but it's, he's made complete and seen when we love each other. So not only do we reflect him and represent him that way, but we know intuitively that nobody changes to become like the character of Christ without first being loved. Friends, how can we expect the world to be changed by the gospel of Jesus if they don't know their belovedness in a community of people that know that belovedness? The culture wars have sought to expand Christian influence through legislation and power. Friends, discipleship does not happen through legislation. We will not not win the souls of our fellow countrymen by putting into law the values we call Christian. That does not create disciples. Does anyone in this room know a disciple of Jesus who became a disciple of Jesus because they were legislated into becoming a disciple of Jesus? Friends, Jesus had the crowd. Jesus had real political might. Jesus had a clear path forward to the throne of Israel. He was Messiah, the true king of Israel. He could have installed all of the right legislature. He could have won the culture war without lifting his left pinky. He could have been king just like everyone wanted him to be. But Jesus knows that doesn't make disciples. And friends, I have to tell you, as somebody who gets to connect with young people, college students, the younger generations, the devastation of the culture wars is profound. We might win by having our values in place, but we have lost generations who have no interest in Jesus because they believe the witness of Jesus is a political power entity rather than a community of belovedness that loves them. Character change requires the soil of love. Scripture says, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. None of us are disciples of Jesus because he yelled at us. I think Paul makes clear the law is really beautiful, but it failed in terms of conforming the hearts of God's people into bearing his image. We have the power of Christ living in us. That will conform us into the image of Christ. Similarly, the fellowship of Jesus is only transformative if itself, if it is itself a community living the telos of God's love. Let me try and say this again. Our only effectiveness as a church, or as scripture would say, ecclesia, fellowship of disciples, is this. The only thing that will change the world is if we are actually disciples of Jesus, living his way, loving one another as he has taught us to love. And friends, that is enough 
to do the trick. That's enough. There's no silver bullet. There's no perfect lead pastor. There's no better building. All of those things are helpful, but they cannot replace discipleship to Jesus and you and I loving one another as Christ has taught us to love. I know many of us find ourselves in a difficult space in our community and our history as a church right now and wonder, how is this going to work itself out? And I would say this, I believe this with my whole heart. We have everything that we need to be a thriving community, family of followers of Jesus. We have everything we need already in this room this morning. Because we have the spirit of Christ. We have his love. We have his way. And we can love one another. We know how to do that. If you've been here for decades, I guarantee you it hasn't been because of the denomination or this building or all of the ding-dong pastors like me that come through here. It is because you have experienced the gospel of Jesus through loving relationships with other people in this room and that have gone on to glory or moved across the country. Spiritual family that means that's blood thicker than your, your genetic family. That's why we're here. It's the substance of God in this room. And friends, shall we grow that all the more? That is the hope of the world. What are we going to offer Boulder if we can't love one another? Good spiritual ideas? That's baloney. That doesn't change people's lives. So friends, let's love one another as Christ has commanded us to do so. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for your clear command to us to love one another as you have commanded, as you have loved us. Friends, God, we, we, see, we see that the way forward is clear and simple, but also it's difficult. But you've not commanded us to do anything that you've not yet done for us already yourself. So Lord, teach us, reform us, teach us the way of your love. Help us to be content with the hard work of loving one another in this family so that we can be as you proclaimed over your disciples, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Lord, we get our saltiness and our light from you in us when we complete your telos by loving one another. Lord, may it be so to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.